talk about revolution That's going a little bit too far So love me, love me, love me I'm a liberal Hello, and welcome to more like The Worst Wing, the show where here in 2020, we take a look at Aaron Sorkin's seminal work, The West Wing, from a bit more leftist, socialist, modern perspective. I am Stu. And I am Dave. And today is October 10th, 2020. It has been 6,969 days since (laughs) 9-11. Nice. Nice. (laughs) Today's episode that we watched, which is just god-awful it's pretty bad is called guns not butter it is a sharp whiplash from last time which we really actually enjoyed the rare into... good episode yes uh it's it's light <laughs> only lasted a brief glimmer <laughs> back into the suck of aaron sorkin's obsession with process and decorum and words over anything of substance. Yeah, uh, speaking of decorum, this episode opens with a perfect example of it, where Josh goes to meet with Republicans in the Republican cloakroom and just sort of has this nice, polite discussion about uh, voting on a foreign aid bill. Then, you know, within about three minutes realizes, oh, they're the Republicans, they're screwing us on this, uh, and has to, and runs out of the room, but not without a, you know, this is crap moment first and it's just like this perfect encapsulation of the liberal idea of like oh but i tried to reason with them in good faith and and yet they shoved a knife in my back how how unfair (laughs) we're we're sitting there and like the first thing when i was watching it emma says first of all this would never ever happen you would never bring the white house like deputy chief of staff to a meeting about this what the fuck why yeah. Like, uh, again, it just goes to this fantasy of like having a polite Republican to talk to, and yet at the same time, it also sort of pokes through that because they do immediately screw Josh over on the on the foreign aid vote, and then which then sends him spiraling into plans, which sort of is the main whole plot of the episode. Is oh god, we got to save the foreign aid vote. Yeah. So let's let's talk about that for actually that can be our first segment here. So like. The idea is that it's the first big, like, quote-unquote, I guess, big vote of the new administration, right? So they're chasing down this stuff to approve a foreign aid spending bill. And Josh kind of opens after, like, after the credits with, like, he's worried that he's going to fail. And he literally says, like, I will resign if I don't if I can't whip this vote. Like, yeah, what a bunch of bullshit. Oh, okay. Like who? First, go ahead. I just, it, uh, and and I'm sorry, I'm, I'm going to be slightly just ranty here because it's the entire premise of the problem that they're having is based on a poll result that they get from quote unquote, the Liberty foundation, which we are meant to understand is like, I, a shitty right-wing think tank yeah. kind of place. Yeah. And But then Josh is like, holy shit, this poll, we're going to die. It's like, Josh, they could just be, like, this could be made up. Right. They could be lying to you. <laughs> yeah. And if, you know, it's one poll, but yeah, they freak the fuck out over it. And it, it feels like a weird arbitrary way to try to gin up stakes for this, yes. this sort of vote-getting plotline that we've seen on the show like a dozen times already. 
And, like, I get that it's sort of the go-to, like, this is how the sausage gets made kind of thing that, in theory, should be the show's bread and butter. But when you've done it so, so many times, it just starts to lose its luster. Like, you're not presenting it in an interesting way anymore. Yeah, and um, foreign aid is, like, the, the subject of it. The unsexiest issue. <laughs> I mean, for... There's that, and then it's just the entire framing of the foreign aid conversation, and they say it over and over so again. So many times do they quote the fucking numbers. Oh my god. It's, and then there's also, they talk about, we are we are building, you quoted it here, we're building sustainable democracies. <laughs> and okay. what, Code for dropping bombs. <laughs> And I think, I can't remember what the word is. I'll, I'll try and look it up so I can reference it here. But Bartlett says something about, like, it's good to cross borders, to build, sol- like, to build, uh, he would never say solidarity, to build, like, right. international cooperation. To build hospitals like, and, like, to <laughs> do good things. It's like, and we only cross borders to do good things, right, everyone? <laughs> yeah, in spite never, of. Never mind what our jets are doing when they're crossing the air border. <laughs> Yeah, we cross borders to do a lot more than build hospitals do. Like, we cross borders to bomb hospitals. (laughs) Yeah, well, (laughs) conveniently, he doesn't have to mention any of that in his speech. But yeah, so it ends up going throughout the episode. Again, like we said, you've seen it a dozen times before. They trade votes. A senator comes out of nowhere to be like, I'll give you a a key vote. Uh, And he wants $115,000 which, in a running gag, every character who hears the amount goes, you mean million. He, he meant million, right? Yeah. <laughs> because like they, that, they, can't, they can't comprehend such a small amount of money being worth a vote uh, on this kind of thing. Well, well, fuck me, too, though. Like, this is also completely incoherent because they spend a bunch of time, like, sort of pretending it's a diminutive and pathetic amount of money. Right. And they refuse to give it to him. Right, because it, the well, the money is for a study on remote prayer and its effectiveness in healing people uh, who are ill. Uh, they even have, they brought a doctor with them, uh, or the senator guy brought, like, a doctor with him who, like, led the study or whatever. She's, like, a cardiologist. It's not just, like, some crank thing. It's, a, like, it's got... I don't want to say legitimacy to it, but it has enough legitimacy that you could like get it out there and no one would flip out about it. So in my for, mind, they should just take the fucking deal for like one hundred and fifteen thousand dollars. Who cares? Right. I think it could th- be about like you know exploring the rituals of Satan and their and their effectiveness on making number grow go up. Well, and not to not to both sides this too much, but frankly, that's a way to defang the bullshit objection that Republicans constantly have to like the NSF and you know science research and stuff. Right. Be like, oh, you're researching like you know how gay fruit frogs flies and, fuck and yeah, and, how, like and you could just turn it back around and right. be like, well, motherfucker, well, you're we researching gave you. remote prayer. <laughs> yeah. We're seeing if people praying off on Skype for you will uh, increase your O2 stat. <laughs> Seriously, and if that's if that's what it takes, hundred fifteen thousand dollars is cheap right, to right. defang that. Of course, and so to me, it seems obvious that they t- should take the deal, but they make a moral objection to it about like, oh, but it's federal money funding <laughs> something religious. It's oh no, and like it's separation of church and state violating, and and like they have a whole thing to do about like this is going to be the slippery slope that leads to civil liberties going away, and it just feels ridiculous and way over the top. 
for this yeah, what so, the, what it is. And I, I that line of argument also confuses me because how does yeah. a how does a scientific study? I mean, I guess I can get there eventually. No, paint, paint me the roadmap. Yeah, like yeah, how, yeah, yeah. How is this the first domino that leads to Handmaid's Tale? You know, and and I think this actually kind of like I think this overarchingly this is why this conceit sort of bothers me throughout the episode. It's because it's basically they're they're being the weird theocratic Republicans in this scenario. In essence, they are the ones who are flipping out for really no reason i right. mean i it's it's absolutely just incredibly ridiculous however let's talk about what kind of like how donna oh sure runs around yes oh so at one point they're trying to track down a senator and like base uh, a democratic one i assume and basically like have josh kind of bully her to be like hey you're not voting with the democrats on this what the fuck and like and, and in theory, just by speaking or, or having, uh, they want Bartlett actually to talk to her. Uh, but uh, yeah, so Don, to do this, Donna has to go find the senator who is pulling like this runaround act because she wants to dodge the call. Uh, mm-hmm. And is constantly like two steps behind, and Donna. So, so it's like, oh, our senator is in another castle. Like every time <laughs> yeah. she shows up everywhere. Uh, at one point, she's hiding out in the kitchen, and we get the two best background speaking extras in the entire show. These two <laughs> fucking chefs. I love these yeah. chefs. One of them's like a, a wannabe Joe Pesci type, but like more friendly. And then the other is like, ah, Vavazul, you're just trying to feed the girl. <laughs> Hang on, I'm gonna I'm gonna put a clip in right here. You guys can experience this as well because this is frankly the only good part of the episode. Well, one of two good parts of the episode. Donatella, you want me to fix you up a piece of salmon? No thanks, Giuseppe. What about fettuccine? Bino's using a new cream. I tried it last week. The technology conference. It's the best. Listen, the day is still like this through here, right? Yeah, you can go in there, you know, and just stand in the back. She's trying not to scare somebody. Would you leave the child alone? I'm trying to feed her some food. 22 years in Washington, D.C. Spent all his time in the kitchen. He doesn't know how the place works. Well, maybe I could learn something if I beat you about the head with a sturdy ladle. Yeah, so these guys are just like, it's just bants in the background for whatever I, I, I want a fucking whole show with these two guys. And they're like <laughs> yeah. odd couple-esque relationship I'm playing out in my head. <laughs> but, but yeah, so she's, she's hiding in the kitchen. Uh, she does this great little bit of social engineering where she's at the airport luggage terminal. And she grabs some dude's uh, like manila envelope and walks over to some aide of the senators and's like, "Hey, this is supposed to go to the senator. Do you know where she went?" And he's like, "Yeah, she's at the blah blah blah." And she's like, "Great, thanks." <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, thus proving right that with, with an envelope or a clipboard, you can basically walk anywhere if you act like you know what you're doing. Uh, yeah, if. If you're a, a white person and you have a clipboard, boy, like and a lanyard, open. and a lanyard too, yeah. that'll get you pretty much anywhere in the world. Yeah. So she get like she does a good job throughout the episode, and then there is this sort of penultimate scene about this vote where Donna corners the senator, receives a phone call from I think it's Josh. I is assume it? it's Josh that yes. basically calls her off. And then, hey, we, inc- yeah, he says like, hey, we have two votes. We don't need this one. You could you could give up, you know. And so in a extremely poorly 
explained like scene she tips off the senator as to, and the, her staff as to who the votes that the white house has correct by naming them when the senator didn't have this information correct and that means the senator can then go work on them when otherwise she wouldn't have had the target to further derail the vote and that's quote unquote that is why they lose right uh yeah because donna names the two senators precisely this was so poorly communicated that both of us were confused about the plot line (laughs) uh in the pre-episode discussion that we do but we we sort of pieced it out and it works like in context i can figure out towards the end because donna and josh have this conversation where donna's basically apologizing for like hey i fucked up by saying those two names i probably killed the whole vote josh is like no no you didn't kill the whole vote we never really had it anyway uh kind of thing and and absolves her of that guilt but it's it's a very poorly communicated plot point i I, and actually i i kind of at least i appreciate that they put that um, in Josh's mouth saying like this was this was our collective fault like, right this vote we, we weren't we weren't ready and as much as I as much as I hate that our governmental system boils down to being like you can only take a vote when you're absolutely certain you're that gonna, you're gonna win. win it yeah like that sucks so much but at least in this case they sort of cop to being like we just had to put something out there and it ended up that foreign aid or whatever was it right like blah, they, blah, blah. yeah they weren't ready on any of the other big things essentially yeah. um so yeah that that basically sums up the main plot line they they end up deciding to go with a continuing resolution that funds it on 75 cents on the dollar for the next 90 days and then they'll vote again at that point <laughs> I just I just wrote here that you could just call the West Wing <laughs> continuing resolution the show because nothing ever happens. It's very very fucking true. Uh, so yeah, this is a, again a perfect example of nothing happens, and also our characters never getting to win outside of an election. That's the only time they could win. Uh, and so here's another loss, and you know Bart has to be like, oh man, that was a tough loss. So there's the very last bit of this, and I wrote this, I don't even remember how the lines go, but like the poll gets brought up again and Will Bailey just, they go out of their way to write Will Bailey saying like, oh, those goddamn hicks in the holler, they don't know a single thing about how government should work for the people. And it's just elitist, brown-nosing Quoting the Churchill quotes about, you know, five minutes with the average voter being the thing that turns you off democracy. Ooh. All all that shit. Man, it just, it doesn't even really bear much discussion. It is horrific. It's it's really just like, dumbass voters. Don't they know we're the elites, goddammit? Like, that's basically all it is. We know what's best for them, which is frankly, okay, great. Yeah, this is the Democratic Party. Yeah, it's, it's pretty on the nose. Uh, but unintentionally so. Let's take a quick break, and then we'll come back and uh, discuss Charlie, Zoe, and Jean-Paul. Jean-Paul. <laughs>
welcome back. Uh, so, speaking of back, guess who's back? <laughs> Jean Paul's back. Jean Paul's back. <laughs> Telling him more. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he's he's so back, and he's so French, and he's so rude to uh, to Charlie the entire time, being like, "Ah, so you sort uh, Zoe's dad mail. This is your job, yes." <laughs> And Charlie's just like trying to beg for any sort of sympathy. He's like, "No, I, I, I do important things too." Yeah, and so the the what Charlie ends up doing is, and you actually made a, a pretty good note about this. I wouldn't have picked up on this. Is that Jean Paul has been like needling Charlie about how insignificant his role is yes. in the White House, and so Charlie takes the opportunity while the president is working a rope line Correct. to take up a woman's cause about, I think it's her son, who is... It's her. It's, it's She's on food stamps. Oh, that's, that's right? right. That's right. Um, she's a private in the army or right. was discharged. She's, she's enlisted. She's okay. enlisted and she's on food stamps. Yeah. And it's like, what the fuck? Why isn't the army paying enough for this woman to feed her family? Yeah, but if the thing is, Charlie only takes it upon himself to champion her cause... Because Jean-Paul has been sassing him Correct. about how he doesn't do anything. It is 100% only fueled by that. And the episode goes out of its way to make that clear. Where he'll have a conversation with Jean-Paul. He's like, no, in fact, I'm sending that letter to the DOD. And, the, and Jean-Paul's like, who? okay, I am impressed, American. Yeah. And then he, and then Charlie runs up to an A. He's like, by the way, send that letter to the DOD. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And... He's also like, and, and Charlie cops to it. He just at the end is just like, I was just showing off for Zoe. I'm sorry, Mr. President. Right. I just, can you imagine? So he ends, yeah, he ends up calling some like deputy guy over at the Department of Defense. And in response, the Department of Defense like sends this giant fuck off memo about their budget to like him, to uh, POTUS, V POTUS, to all the Joint Chiefs yeah. and all that. <laughs> and it, like CC to like everyone important basically. And Charlie's like, I, I, I did not mean to do this. I was just trying to like pass along this letter. And it's basically like a big F off memo saying like, hey, the budget is what the budget is. If you want to give us more money, maybe we'll feed the families on food stamps, but fucking deal with it. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, like it's, it's a very like a, like a political thing, you know, we, we're hearing from, we hear the white house wants to tell us what to do. Well, right. Sorry, bitch. Like, here's what we're doing. Maybe you could do it better or something, it's, but it it's goes a to very, everybody. it's a very stupid power play kind of thing all around. Uh, and it was all unintentionally caused just by Charlie trying to show off for Zoe. Yeah. So Jean Paul's around. He is just, he's, extremely french and extremely up his own ass it rules um <laughs> i love jean paul there's a line where the i think it's the president describes his daughter as dating somebody who is better looking than his wife <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, i mean to be Aaron. to be fair he's a very handsome man <laughs> <laughs> yeah he is but, like, but yes at the same time gross <laughs> I don't know. Mr. Sorkin, I don't know the type of like upbringing you had or the type of relationships you have, but you don't need to exercise your pathologies about handsome men in this particular <laughs> way. He's flashing back to that boarding school. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh. 
So it gets wrapped up eventually, and like there, there's a denouement of, you know, Charlie goes to talk, the president apologizes for it. And then there's probably some sort of like, there, there's some token, like, wow, this is, this is how we treat our troops. Like, oh, no. Right, but nothing actually gets solved. And like I said, it's another example of the, well, we'll fix things for this one family who got to send, you know, who actually got to pass the letter physically to the president. Uh, so sh- she'll get, she'll probably get fixed, but so much for all the other military families on food stamps. Yeah, which we saw, I mean, we've almost seen this verbatim, except with the Toby arc, um, from season one. Where with the he, homeless guy. Yeah, guy, with the homeless yep. guy. Yep. Uh, well, and then to go back real quick to what you were saying about Sorkin being gross, there are two separate times where Bartlett goes, boy, Zoe's really growing up, isn't she? And whichever male guy she he says it to goes, "Oh yeah, she is." <laughs> and and then Bartlett gets mad. He does this. He does this once with Charlie and once with Josh. Josh, yeah. <laughs> and it's just like, okay, Charlie, I get because they dated, and you know, so and Bartlett does this funny thing where he's like, okay, temporarily, you and I are on the same side, Charlie, because fuck John Paul. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> and like, I, I, so I like that bit. But then when he does it with Josh, it's super fucking creepy because Josh is like 38 years old. <laughs> Josh answers and the did question. not date Zoe. He answers the question. He's like, yeah, mm, she sure <laughs> yeah, is, like, Mr. President. It's fucking gross as shit. <laughs> but like at the same time, it's an intentionally baited trap by Bartlett and both both dudes just stumble into it. <laughs> Again, Charlie is slightly forgiven because he's actually dated Zoe, but Josh, there's no forgiveness there. I actually just, thinking about it in that regard, I really really hope that it was intentional because when I think, when you say they both stumble into Bartlett's trap, like Bartlett actually stumbles into his trap, I just find that extremely funny to be like, Oh shit! I shouldn't have said that at <laughs> yeah, all. Yeah, like like Bartlett is immediately mad at Josh. <laughs> this like this he's like I don't and Josh is like I don't know what the fuck I'm doing today. <laughs> <laughs> and Bartlett's like, wow, this is not the way I should talk about my daughter. Hmm. <laughs> oh man. Okay, let's take another quick break and then we'll come back and discuss uh, CJ's and Danny's and a few other subplots. Welcome back. So the major last subplot, it's not even that major, it only gets a few minutes in the episode, but the last subplot of note, I would say, is between CJ and Danny, and it's following up more on the Sharif assassination story. As Danny's starting to dig into it more, he's looking up for background on the pilot, and they're searching through all the flight training schools in America, and they haven't found anything so far, and he's like, this is obviously a fake alias uh, that was given to someone else. 
Uh, and CJ's like, oh, I can't confirm that. And, and they kind of have a minor back and forth on that throughout the episode. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool because, and I think to his credit, Sorkin writes Danny as a very good investigative journalist because even for like uh, a person like me, like steeped in, in politics and, and knowing how sort of you go digging for dirt and stuff, Danny does some really interesting and good things like he takes some lines of inquiry that i would have never dreamed of and it's it's sorkin writing him to do that so like cool good good for you man because yes it sounds like wild speculation when danny's putting these pieces together but then he can back them up to be like oh yeah you know we we heard about this detail on the manifest and thought it looked a little suspicious so we went digging at like you said flight schools like we'd never heard this guy's name or none of these places had him on the roster and turns out he's absolutely right like in i i I know that cj is the professional in this situation i just love her refusal to tell him to fuck off right it's she could just be like no go away but she doesn't because no. she knows that the administration did a terrible thing. I, right. I she, really she, like to think that it's because she has moral qualms about what they did. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Because she she basically tells Danny, like, look, I'm not going to I'm not going to make you go off this story, but I can only help so much kind of thing is her attitude. Yeah, because I mean, in, in her professional capacity, it is to neither confirm nor deny. But right. She, and it's, again, it's well acted because it is clear yes. that she knows that he's, he's, he's getting it right. That he's on to something. Yeah. Uh, which we had already established the last time when, when Danny was Santa. So it's just sort of stretching that out. But again, you know, points for at least showing an arc c- continuing throughout multiple episodes. And describing, which, like, again, describing the operations, I would argue, of an investigative journalist with more acumen than they do political operatives. <laughs> Correct. Yeah, but, yeah. which maybe that's why Sorkin went on to do the newsroom, because he was, was like, hey, I'm actually more interested in, like, the journalists and, and investigative reporters and media approach to things. Um, I haven't watched any newsroom, so I have no opinion on it. I've seen some clips. <laughs> I think many people have seen <laughs> yes. these same clips about, like, where they're told Bin Laden got d- killed or whatever, and it's just... It's M- Sorkin is insane... Mr. Yeah, Pilot Man, we got him. Yeah, it's like Sorkin and Sandy turned up to 11. So maybe one day we'll look into the newsroom. But as of this moment, uh, not interested in doing that. But yeah, he does write Danny very well. I think he wants to always show everyone as competent. You know, yeah. or, or even ultra-competent. That's sort of like the fantasy of the show is these are the best of the best of the best. And they serve you know at the president's pleasure. Uh, and that's sort of well. And it's it's easier to do that with Danny because the viewer knows the truth, and yes. so the viewer can validate whether Danny is being competent. Right. But, we have that sort of dramatic irony of knowing more than the characters know. Yeah. So that's exactly. I think it's fine. Like I I like Danny's character and his relationship with CJ is great, but it also we get a few a few minutes about the Sharif thing, and the rest of CJ is subsumed to this god awful. Like, foreign oh, aid right. stunt bullshit. Oh, right. So, uh, she... There's a photo op with uh, Heifer International, which is an organization that sends livestock to, uh, 
you know, third world countries where they need it. And, uh, you know, actually it's a great organization. Um, but so they schedule a photo op with the president and a cow and, you know, she's already debating like, maybe this was stupid. It's going to look stupid and not presidential. And then LOL, the wacky twist is that it's not a cow. It's a goat. And it's like, it's so dumb. And as I was watching it, I started to realize like, why does this all feel so familiar? And it's the exact fucking same subplot as the turkey pardoning shit from like whenever that episode was i think it was season one like yeah it is the exact same shit right up there with animal in someone's office unexpectedly you know having to deal with the logistics of having an animal in the white house you know it's all the exact same beats mined out all over again yeah and the um yeah i mean even down to like sort of doofy let's look down on him handler character right like the guy who's right. working like, with ha, the goats. he he's he's dumb and he's probably not college educated he works with animals yeah and i mean they kind of didn't they tie it in with um continuing to haze will bailey like they put the goat right. in his office by putting the goat in, this, in his office yeah. right so instead of cj's this time it's in will's office but it's the exact same comedy oh, that's beats. Right. And it's the exact same, you know, like, oh, the goat has a name. <laughs> and like, you know, all the, all this, it's the exact same subplot. Like, they just copy-pasted from that one episode. Yeah, and it seems, I mean, it is a, it's a very, um, it's a very, ni- like, it's a holdover from the 90s TV element of, like, of, oh, wacky huh. adventures with animals. Like, oh, it's it's bucolic in an office setting. Ha, ha, ha. Yeah, like, I, so I have nothing more to say about it yeah. other than it's just the <laughs> laziest copy and paste I've seen, and it's not funny the second time around, and it it, it retroactively makes the turkey subplot less funny. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I am. Which actually... at the time was charming and delightful because Alice and Janney sold it well. I am actually continuing to lose more respect for the show. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, oh. so they, they do the photo op and blah, blah, blah. And then I think... That's actually what we end our episode on. It's very weirdly paced because we have the emotional climax of the episode like seven minutes before when we get the fallout from the big foreign aid vote not going through. And like that that's where, in my mind, the episode should end. But then we just keep going and it's just goat shit till the actual end. Yeah. Um, it's very weird pacing issues in this episode. <sighs> Yeah, and again, coming on the heels of the Holy Night episode, it's, I, I don't know, like, do you, I, I don't understand how one, or I guess the writer's stable, or in this case, maybe Aaron Sorkin, just loses loses the thread. It just seems so schizophrenic from episode to episode right it's now. Either, it's either not enough or too much cocaine. <laughs> okay. It's one or the other. He's not on the right balance. And when he's on the right balance, he gets something like a holy night. But, uh, yeah, it's just too much or too little. <laughs> we, you know? we, need to, we need to get him uh, our big wet prez's dexamethasone and remdesivir <laughs> cocktail. Yeah, yeah, shoot him full of all the experimental stuff. That'll get him, that'll get him right better. <laughs> Balance his humors out. It's like, it's yeah. like Homer salting Pinchy's fish tank. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, more, yeah. yeah. Oh, wait. Oh, uh, perfect. <laughs> uh, one other thing I just want to mention before we wrap up is that uh, to go back to the foreign aid subplot, when the vote 
deadline is starting, Josh goes, start the clock, and we cut to, like, a big old alarm clock-style countdown clock that they have on one of the tables, and they actually start it, and I'm like, what the fuck is this clock? We have never seen this clock before. <laughs> it's, it's can, like it's... can we all just understand that the vote happens at 8 p.m.? <laughs> Nope. Do we really need the fucking bomb timer countdown clock? No, dude, because then um, the Cylons will find them and they'll have to jump again. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's the fucking 33 hours clock. Like, if, we, if, we don't, if we don't vote through foreign aid for the Cylons, they'll track us down and kill us. <laughs> 62% of people on Battlestar Galactica want to cut for an aid to the Cylons, and 59% think it's too high. Who <laughs> boy, alright. <laughs> uh, yeah, but that was it I had for uh, this particular episode. Any final bits? Now let's uh, do one more quick segment to wrap up, and then we can let y'all go. Welcome back. Uh, that does it for this particular episode of The Worst Wing. Uh, as always, thank you for listening. We we always enjoy having you listen to our entertaining breakdowns of this god-awful show. Uh, you can always post your comment or feedback in either of our threads. Uh, you can email the show at theworstwing69 at gmail.com. Nice. Just like today. Today is double nice. Double, double nice. Uh, and we will be back next time for another episode of The Worst Week. We can all hope it will be less painful to watch than this one. Oh, also, before we close out today, um, in five days will be the West Wing cast reunion special oh dealy in honor of Joe Biden's presidential candidacy. And I am going back and forth on whether we should watch and react to it not necessarily live but at least take it in and then have sure. commentary on it um <laughs> i don't know like it just i i'm torn as well it, it seems it seems almost kind of incumbent upon us to do it but then again like what are they i don't even understand what the format is supposed to be <laughs> aren't they aren't they remaking uh, 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 an existing episode oh Wasn't i did that the plan i didn't know that I think I thought that was the plan, or maybe I don't know. It could okay. have changed a lot since then. So we'll see what happens. If we decide it's worth doing an episode on, uh, perhaps we'll do one, but probably not right away. But we'll so we'll see when that shakes out. Okay, yeah, because it, it airs on Thursday um, on HBO, so Shit. we'll see. Oh boy, <sighs> oh boy, <laughs> I'll have to get some alcohol ready for that <laughs> for one. For real. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, everyone, stay safe out there, and uh, and much love to all, all y'all, and uh, thanks for listening. Stay safe, y'all. Bye. the money you ask for, but don't ask me to come on along. So love me, love me, love me, 